we're going to start with a review. And we're going to kind of uh, go through the whole semester and see if we can remember some of the high-level, uh, big ideas that we've discussed. So who can remember our definition of evangelism? Don't look at your notes. That's cheating. You never did. You do it real quick. Don't look at your telephone either. So define the term evangelism. Matt. Twelve weeks ago, I was here. You were here for this one. Yeah, I was. And you can again. Don't look at your notes. See if anything is stuck. Yep, tell us. Sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for mankind. And you got the first word right. Oh. Sharing. <laughs> you just remember I, remember, I try to keep, for the, as much as possible, I try to keep everything as simple and elementary as possible. Sharing the gospel. He appears. All right, so sharing. In order to make disciples. The gospel. Uh, to make disciples. What are we sharing to the make disciples? The gospel. the gospel. So sharing the gospel to make disciples. What are the five prongs that we looked at of, like, the, if, if this is the structure, the hooks that we hang the information on? What are the five prongs uh, that we must, uh, that must be present when we share the gospel? Uh, Said, so we have God, God man, man and sin. sin. Forgiveness. It's all in there, but that's. The, I'm being a stickler. It's not the third one. Our need. Mm-hmm. That's the sin. Tim's cheating. Put your notes away, Tim. <laughs> need is sin. sin. We have a need for redemption because we're right. sinners, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember, these are just the five big categories. Is promise the last one? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we got three of the five. God, man, and sin, promise. At least we didn't go, at least we didn't go one, two, four, and five. <laughs> that would have been bad. So, so Jesus is the third one. So God, man and sin, Jesus, something and promise. You made me say to be afraid of to say what I can. Because <laughs> I'll be wrong. Troy scary. You might be. But that's okay. <laughs> Matt put me in a feisty mood, so yeah. Man, I didn't know you're so fragile. I'm fragile. So we have God, man and sin, Jesus. How do you get to the promise? You cheated. You cheated. Response. So, so if we tease these five things out, we have God, man and sin, Jesus, response, and promise. Remember, those are the. We're not going to be using necessarily those categories, but that's the categories or the out. One of the ways that we can outline the essential message of the gospel. So, what is it that we should know? or communicate about what does someone need to know about God in order to become a Christian? 
Yes. Even though we might not say the exact word. Creator. He's creator. Forgiveness. Yes. That's later on, though, probably. Like, what are what's the central components of his character? Holiness. He's holy, right? Because remember, we're trying to set it up in opposition to us. So he is the creator, and he is sinless. Then we get to man and sin. This one's pretty easy, right? Die for us. So man and sin, what would we need to communicate or understand about man and sin? So we're the creature, and we have rebelled, right? We're sinful. He's sinless. We're sinful. And what else should we probably know about our sinful condition? That there's a price to pay for that. Okay. What about our ability with respect to fixing our our sinful problem? What? So we have no ability to do anything to fix our sinful problem and that there's a consequence to that sinful problem, right? And that consequence is death, separation from God, both now and forever. So then we get to Jesus. And what do we want what do we need to understand about Jesus? So he's God. He is sinless because he's God. And what did that sinless God man do? So he remember the in the three circles tool you have the arrows going opposite directions. So God in sinless human form came and he did what we could not do, right? He lived the perfect life that we failed to live. He died the death that we deserve and rose from the, the dead in power, which we could never do in and of ourselves, securing and finding approval of, of eternal life. That's God, man, and sin, Jesus. Response. What are the two words that are the key to the response? What does Scripture repeatedly call people to do in light of this good news? Repent, which means to turn away and believe. So to repent and believe. Two sides of the same coin. And then what is that promise? It's not just heaven, although that is it's eternal life, but how would we what's a way that we could describe eternal life that uh, better connects the idea of creator, sinless creator, sinful creature, sin and rebellion and brokenness. It's restoring your relationship. Yeah, it's the idea of restored relationship forever, eternal life, right? It's instead of separation from God forever, it's fellowship with God forever. So God, man and sin, Jesus responds and promise. I think those are good things to know. Then we talked about God's sovereignty with respect to our personal evangelism. Does anyone remember the core components of sovereignty, the idea of God's sovereignty, or something of the definition that I gave. I'll even give you a hint. The inherent the inherent right and something. The inherent right and power of God to do what? Control. To control. Are you looking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the inherent, so inherent that means this right, this authority, this privilege and power inheres in God, which it is part of his character. It is um, not something that is granted to him or delegated to him from the outside. It is part of who he is because he is God. He has the right and the power to do whatever pleases him. And then what was the conclusion that I try to drive at with that entire lesson about God's sovereignty and how it um, dovetails to our personal evangelism of, of other people? God does the work, not you. God does the work, not us. We can't save someone, right? And if I could put it, I'll phrase it the way I phrased it then, but that's essentially what Sierra said. But confidence in God's sovereignty fuels confidence in our personal evangelism. So the more confidence that we have in God's control of all things the person we're sharing the gospel with, the way we communicate the gospel, the circumstances that surround it, what's going to happen right before, during, and after this whole episode of when we share the gospel. All of that. How much of it we share. All of that is under the authority of God. And the more confident that we are in that, the more confident we will be to go and share the good news. You say, well, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? We die. Well, that was God's plan. Even though that still stinks. But God's plan, we know, is best. And, and that's that's the reality that we can we can uh, take hope in. Then we learned about, or we've spent two weeks actually, one week learning about it, and then the second week practicing it. How to turn our everyday conversations over cups of coffee, at work, wherever we're at, in our family, how we turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. What was the first thing that we need to help uh, move that conversation in the right direction? Just shout it. A transition statement. And give me a good one. What are we looking for in the conversation in order to transition it? That someone has a problem or to be saved because they have a problem? Yeah, so someone in the course of your everyday conversation mentions that, hey, blah, 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 this really stinks in my life. And you can utilize that with your transition statement to move into what? The three circles tool, right? All right, so here's the challenge. I'm going to call on one of you. (laughs) So I will give you the chance to volunteer. Who would like to attempt the three circles tool? And you even can use the whiteboard. Without looking at your notes. Get that. My notes. You know what? I'll even let two or three of you in a group come up and do it together. Remember, I I will pick you. Hmm. 
Tim, you're gonna be one. Show me, you're ready. Larry, put that put that away. You get to be the other one. <laughs> you. I was gonna volunteer. And Gene, Gene, will you do it? Will you do the three circles with Larry and Tim? As long as they have one. <laughs> Come on up. What? You cannot cheat. This is you're thwarting the plan. So I have a problem. I've just shared my problem. Give me a transition statement of something. Now you're gonna first thing you know which stuff. Uh, my problem is that you have good Things that things at work have been going so poorly. Give me your phone. So you're getting are you gonna get a grade? So my problem is that I just got notified at work that things are really going bad. The company's kind of heading in the wrong direction. And in three months I'm most likely gonna be laid off and I've got family, I'm concerned that I'm gonna lose everything. Really? Yes. Well, yeah. well. So that's my problem. It's not real. I'm making it up. At least I hope it's not real. Uh, and so that's my problem. Your transition statement, you just, you're going to make right now, and then you're going to go into the three circles tool. I just always remember that I kind of got it backwards. So if you guys want to. That's why I picked you, Larry. <laughs> you can help out. My first yeah, answer, yeah, I just, that's good. That's all correct. Now, so, wow. Yeah. Remember, you're explaining it to us. Yeah, yeah. So, well, us as in me. So, first we decided we need to try to empathize if possible. Yeah. If we've ever gone through something like that, maybe we could <laughs> say that we understand. Uh, but we might not have ever gone through something like that. And so, in that case, we just want to admit that. Man, that seems really tough. I can't imagine what it's like to go through that. But then segue into what you do when you encounter a tough spot so that you you may not be able to find a perfect parallel to it, but you're able to acknowledge because you don't want to just spit out an answer and start to launch right into it. Otherwise, you may come across as just trying to fix it without embracing that human level first where you say, you know, I haven't ever had that exact thing. But when I went through this down part of my life, this is what I did. So that way you've connected on the human level first before you just become a fixer of everything. I was just really impressed when you talked about wanting to fix it because you had obviously had husband lessons. Is that your answer? Well, I'll be honest, as an aside, throughout this whole class, my, my biggest thought is I feel like we always want to try to fix things. And so when I listen, it's like you don't want to be that person. People already view us as Christians as trying to fix everything. We know all the answers, and we don't, and that's okay. But we can't come across that way when you're feeling down. Otherwise, we risk pushing you further away than connecting on the human level. Yeah, that's not really if we if we if we're like 
yeah, it's not really that bad because here's the answer, then we're not really being empathetic. Correct. Mm -hmm. So you just somehow transitioned. Somebody from church is calling me. Should I? Yeah, ask her if she knows the three circles tool. Okay, no, that empathy is not the three circles. So you haven't made it to the three circles yet. So you just transitioned, you empathized with me, and now you remember the transition statement gets you into the three circles, and you're going to draw the three circles and tell me the gospel to the three circles. So, he's the artist, so... No, I'm not an artist. <laughs> I look forward to this. So what are, the, what are the three components? I know we got God's design, because I remember that. Yeah. That is pretty good. There you go. Yeah. All right, now we got an art. Oh, oh. Yeah, tell me about God's design. Just a though. second, I got to draw it off first. <laughs> we need a roadmap first. Yeah. You're going to draw it as you talk. It's crazy. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so we got God's design. And so that's the part where you explain that we were all created in God's image. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect like Him because we have sin in our lives, but that we've got something that we can aspire to mirror our daily lives around. Then we go across. We've got... Can I, can I throw in something I always think of when, when we talk about that is um, that's why we have a sense that something's wrong. Because we have this idea of when it's all right. And that's how that is. So sin goes above this. Correct. Correct. Um, then we've got another circle. Fall. Yeah, another circle. I know we've got another circle. Fall. I'm trying to think what goes in there. Is it fall? No, Can I close. Question first? Close. You're close to consequences. Brokenness. I knew it was a beat. <laughs> Can we just call it curse? No. <laughs> People like that word. Yeah. I don't like that word. We use it in everyday language. I'm missing an SS. Yeah. SS. Is there two N's or one? One N. Two L's. There we go. This is a very nice one. That's an old one. That comes purely right. Hey, you can go up there. All right. Now we move our way down. So, so that is where we talk about. That's where we because are. Because of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. because we've got things like this happen, sometimes of our own doing, sometimes just because of what other people have done, sometimes just because That's we live in a broken world. <laughs> it's warm up here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So but there's an answer to that. Where does squeaky line for? It's the sun. What do you got to change? There's four to that point. No, I'm asking. I'm just asking. Oh, so oh, that goes down to here. I understand. You know the result of our brokenness, like the problems in your life. No. Or we, no, like the ways that the ways that we go to try to figure it out ourselves. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one's been crossed, right? Yeah, I'm getting there. Okay. Out of space. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the good news that even though, even though we can't fix what's broken, 
God has done when it takes the fix what's broken. So that it can be restored to his design. And then this is, what's the line in between brokenness and the gospel? Repent and believe is over here, correct? So we spent two weeks. We looked at that for one week. Spent the second week rehearsing that, if you recall, that painful day. And then we spent two weeks discussing the objections, or we, we discussed more of the first week. How do we deal with when we get to this point? And we've walked through this whole thing, and we call them to, or we get to the end, we've done the circle, and Hopefully we dropped in here, but maybe we've dropped in here or whatever, and we drop in and we go through the circle. At the end, we invite them, but we invite them not by saying, will you repent and believe right now? But we invite them through a question like, is there anything that would keep you right now from from repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ? And that, I don't want to say is a soft way, but it's an approachable and honest way where we can now open it up for further conversation rather than just shutting it down. They say, nope, I'm not doing it. They can communicate and have an open conversation with you about, yeah, no, I'm not ready, and here's the reasons why. And at those that point, if not even before in that conversation, they will have given you objections and say, oh, well, I'm not going to trust this book that's written thousands and thousands of years ago by a bunch of old dead guys and blah 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 and that's what we we looked at is and, and what was the key thing that we suggested from a strategy standpoint to employ to help us when we encounter objections ask questions ask questions mm-hmm. ask questions why would we ask questions because it gets us deeper to we can solve the problem. We can actually get to the core of the problem. Okay, it helps expose the core of their problem, not only to us, but to themselves. themselves because they might have underlying issues, assumptions, right, that, that they're not even necessarily aware of. Remember, Larry, in the second week, talked about how um, even though I don't think this is one of his points, but it came up throughout the discussion, the idea that Every unbeliever, every atheist, every something other than Christianity borrows from the Christian worldview. They hijack portions of it. That's the only way that they can 
figure out a way to make sense of life. And so they're wildly inconsistent, but in bits and at times and places they borrow from the Christian worldview and and we can through questions expose that to them. Not in a mean way, not to agitate them, but in a way to expose the truth of their false thinking um, and hopefully wake them up to the reality of the good news. So before we get to lesson 12, which is, I think, fairly short, what are your lingering questions? Because I know that in 12 weeks four of which were taken up just by two topics. I didn't get through everything I had planned on talking about. I'm assuming that you might have questions that just are hanging out there that weren't addressed or you'd like to see addressed or maybe you're really confused about something that was said or discussed. So now is your time. Forever hold your peace. I'd like to get the name of, of that one resource you mentioned. I didn't get it written down. It was um, um, the book about the um, um, talking with Muslim people. Seeking Allah, yeah. finding Jesus. Yeah. I thought that I gave you a copy. Did I? Or did I? Mm-hmm. But I thought I brought two. I gave you one, and now I have. I know I bought two because I just actually filled out my expense report today at work because I put it on my work card on accident. And, uh, I, uh, but I, I know I bought two and I thought I gave you one. You did. I'm sure you But it's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by a guy named Nabil Koresh. Koreshi, something like that. Yeah, I remember now that you did. It's an amazing book. I haven't read it, but I've listened to it on audio. It's great. Okay. Well, that shows my schedule. If you would like, I mean, we've, I know between Larry and I, we've thrown out a lot of resources your way. Um, So if it would be helpful, we can, uh, I can put together a list of all the resources that we've suggested throughout the semester, email it to you guys, and even put links to the Amazon link or something, um, if that would be interesting interesting to you. Um, I'll send you one Will that be on Larry's podcast? Yeah. His solo <laughs> podcast, by the way. <laughs> any, uh, any other questions? All right. Alright, lesson 12. The goal of lesson 12 is to embolden each other to share the gospel. Yeah, sure. What do you do when you get to a part of that and your mind's a blank and you don't know what to do next? Well, you jump to something and. Remember, Remember, you don't have to do this, number one. You don't ever have to draw this. What I'm trying to do is provide, um, the way my mind works is that I need an outline. I need a structure. I need some, when I have conversation or when I have lessons, I don't need a script. I just need checkpoints. And so what I've been attempting to do is to provide for you checkpoints. 
So when I give you God, man and sin, Jesus, response and promise, you can literally have your hand in your pocket and you can walk through the gospel just by going. And, you, and, you, and you're like, yep, I got my checkpoints, right? This is another tool that I've tried to provide to you to give you checkpoints. You might never draw this with anyone. You're never, you might never sit down at coffee, flip over your napkin and be like, hey, let me share with you this. You could. But my contention is is that you're never going to do this perfectly. You're probably never going to share the, God, uh, the gospel perfectly. Even if you do, it's still not up to you. <laughs> it's up to God's Spirit to regenerate that person's heart. So if you totally stink this thing up, give it your best shot. Because the Holy Spirit, which we will talk about today has at least gifted you with enough knowledge for you yourself to become a Christian, right? You know enough to share with someone else how to become a Christian because you yourself have become a Christian. So you can at least share that. Which is basically this, just in a kind of a dressed up version. I don't know if that helps or not, but I say if you get stuck, you also can just say, hey, you know what? Can I get back to you? My brain, I'm having a brain fart here. Can I get back to you? And I mean, I I have those all the time. Thank you. So our goal this last lesson is boldness. What... Uh, I think this is, if I could put it this way, it's like the missing link in our our Christian witness. You know the truth. You know people who need the truth. But there's something that keeps us from having that conversation with that person. It's probably not for a lack of love and care for them because we love and care for our friends and our family. But there's something that does not give a, get us over that hump. And today, I, I want to, I feel like if there's any way to leave our class, it's this. I, would, I want to encourage you and I want us to encourage each other to be bold. So what is boldness? Anyone have a guess? Not being afraid. Right? Not being afraid? Not doing a status quo. Okay. Being forward. So could someone who is who is uh, more of a passive, uh, softer spoken individual be bold, or is it only the loudmouth, bully kind of person that's bold? I heard a, a, a general rumbling of no, but I, I want to confirm that that's the answer. Not necessarily a lack of fear. It's doing the thing that you think is best in spite of whether you're afraid or feel inadequate. So it's bold. Very. It's actually bold because you have reason to be intimidated. Yeah. So one author uh, defined boldness this way, and I really liked it, so I'm sharing it with you. Boldness is acting by the power of the Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. 
So this this definition is beyond is uh, kind of more of a transcendental uh, definition in that it's not specifically tailored for evangelism, but it works. Acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. So when we are afraid, that is when boldness is required the most. We are acting, as Larry said, in spite of our fear. And if I could uh, pare this definition down, there, there are three core components. The first is conviction. So within this definition, you, there, you're, it's an urgent conviction the author uh, mentions. We must be convicted by the truth, right? We must be convinced, right? When, when uh, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit will convict you, it will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, the idea is convincing. So are we convinced of the truth? Yes, right? So the first ingredient of boldness is that we must be convinced convicted, have a conviction about what we are holding to. The second is courage. The, the fearlessness or the power to overcome our fear in order to share that conviction, the thing that we are convinced of. Right. So we have something we're convinced of. We have the willingness uh, to power through our fear to share what we're convinced of. And then the last core component is urgency. We must share this. We must do this. Whatever that situation is, we need to stand up for our kids, right? Like we're convinced that we need to stand up for them because we love them and this is good for them. And we have, and we, of course we have the courage because we're not going to let someone harm them. And we sense that urgency because we have to stand up for them now or else something bad's going to happen. Like, we get it, right? All three of and so we are bold. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, it's like all of this just crumbles, right? We're convinced. And then it's like this descending slope that it's more like when you get up to the top of a roller coaster to Cedar Point, it goes like this and you you're at convic- conviction, you're like, yeah, we got it, and then it's like, <laughs> straight down, right? Like, our courage, oh yeah, that's way gone. And then urgency, well, so here's what this author says about all these three things. It says, if one of the ingredients is missing, we won't act boldly. So without sufficient conviction that something ought to be said or done, what's there to be bold about? Without sufficient courage... We don't have enough fiber in our conviction to face opposition or threats. So we're going to wuss out, which is what we all do. So I'm not just smacking on you. I'm smacking on me. We all do this. And without a sufficient sense of urgency, we lack the fire under our feet to get us moving. People who are half-hearted, fearful, or indifferent are by definition not bold. You have to have all three ingredients in order to be bold. You must have not only the conviction that this is the truth of God's word. You must also have the courage to go share that and the urgency. Um, 
my hope has been that I helped this semester tease out a little bit more of the details of the gospel so that you can even be more firmly convinced of the truth of the gospel. My hope for this semester is that in that second category, the idea of courage, that the tools that I have attempted to equip you with would give you even more courage to go and share the truth of the gospel and not be fearful when someone, when you stub your toe or when someone says, I don't agree with that, or this objection, that's a bunch of junk. I don't want you to be fearful of that. And today, I want to bring again to your mind number three, urgency. We must be urgent. This is a matter of life and death. So here are some examples of boldness in Scripture. I'm going to try to read through some of these passages. The first one is Paul in Antioch. Antioch and Pisidia. Just write down the reference, Acts 13, 45-48. So on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. So here's the opposition, right? The threat, the fear. They began to contradict Paul, what Paul was saying, and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. And now listen to what happens because of their boldness. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. What happened? Paul and Barnabas faced opposition. Instead of wussing out, they had courage, they had urgency because they knew people needed Christ. They shared boldly the good news. And what had happened? The Gentiles received the word with gladness. Next, Paul is in Iconium with Barnabas in the middle of a Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. There's the obstacle. There's the fear, right? So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. Next one. Paul in Ephesus. Acts 19, 8-9. Paul entered the synagogue and bold and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. You notice in every one of these, you have opposition, a threat, a problem. And what was Paul's response? His conviction, his courage, and his urgency came roaring through. Paul, before King Agrippa, in his writing on man Festus, Festus interrupts Paul in the middle of this gospel presentation. 
And Paul says, the king is familiar with these things that he just got done speaking about. And I can speak freely, is the way the NIV says it, but it's the word for boldly. And he's saying, I can speak boldly to the king. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it's all not done in a corner. Paul is sharing the gospel. He's convinced of it. And he's sharing in front of King Agrippa. And some dude tries to interrupt him. He says, the king has given me the right. And I can speak boldly. He's on trial. And he's sharing the gospel with boldness. At the very end of the book of Acts, the book of Acts concludes... Paul in house arrest. And here's how the book of Acts ends. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Boldness, conviction, courage, urgency. So, that was just Paul, right? Like, Matt, you don't need boldness, right? And Bruce, you don't need boldness. And I don't need boldness. We're not Paul, right? I mean, we're not apostles. So, that's wrong. We have to have boldness. Scripture calls us to be bold. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally, be strong, be bold, have courage in the Lord and in His mighty power. <clears throat> and He even equips you. Listen to this laundry list of of things that God gives you in order to be equipped. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then. Be bold. Be confident. Keep your feet grounded in conviction. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly, that is, boldlessly, courageously make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, again, boldly, as I should. Second Timothy 1, 7 says, For the Spirit God has given us, the Holy Spirit, does not make us fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That idea of self-discipline is, is more of a, of a mind, a self-discipline of mind. That's the Greek behind that self-discipline word that the NIV translates. Um, how does the, is it the NASB or the King James? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, I think is the way the NASB or King James puts it. 
in that sound mind. It's it's thinking carefully. And I don't think that those, that power, love, and self-discipline or sound mind, sound thinking is all that different from courage, conviction, and, and urgency. Urgency being close to love. Power being close to that idea of courage, self-discipline, or sound thinking being convinced. And he has not given us his spirit, us Holy Spirit, who pushes us towards fearfulness. So, the question I leave with you is why can we and why should we be bold in sharing the gospel? Think of everything that we've talked about this semester. Why can we be bold? Why can we? Why can we be bold? No, we're speaking the truth. Okay, because we're speaking God's truth, right? Because we are going with His authority, right? We're we're under His sovereign care. Why else can we go? Okay, He's commanded us to. What does that text say? Second uh, Timothy one seven. If I go back to that, who has He given us? So He's empowered us with the Holy Spirit, right? He's not just—it's not just like a, a thing that's living in us. It's God living in us. We are a temple, as the New Testament describes us. We are a temple. That is God's dwelling. He has come to take up residence in us, His children. And that Spirit, Galatians 5, bears fruit. Fruit that is not fearful, but that is courageous, is urgent, loving, and convinced, sober-minded, sober judgment. So, why can we share the gospel? Because we go with God's message, right? Like Pastor Ken said at Vince's funeral on uh, Sunday, he was, uh, it was something like he was, he believed God's message and he went with God's message. Well, we go with God's message. We obey God's call. We go under his sovereign authority. We're empowered by God's spirit. And I think I would be a poor teacher if I did not bring this up, which we didn't really talk much about, which I think is one of the things that I wish I would have been able to spend more time on. But we're supported by God's people. If we disassociate ourselves and our thinking that we are going out in the world all by ourselves, then we have messed up theology. And I want to correct that theology in you. Because you're never alone. Not only are you never alone when you go out by yourself to share the gospel, you have God's Spirit with you, but you have an army of people. Your church family who are upholding you in prayer, who you can come back to and say, hey, Pastor Larry, I got this nut job who's saying this, this, and this, and I have no idea how to answer him. Can you please help me? Because you're our resident apologist. And Pastor Larry comes to your side and it helps equip you to be able to answer those objections. That's the church. And you sit here under Pastor Ken's teaching and all the other teachers at the church and you are equipped. And, And... 
and we pool all those resources. And maybe you say, you know what, Tim, can you come with me and talk to this dude on our hockey team because I just don't know if I can do, go at it alone. And we do it. We're in it together. We are not islands unto ourselves. Yes, we're a church gathered right now, and then we're going to be a church dispersed in a few minutes. But even when we're dispersed, remember the church is people, right? The church is not this building or only the stated times where we meet. The church is the people, so we are always connected. So why can and should we be bold in sharing the gospel? Because of all those reasons, but I'd like to end with this. Because people are dying and going to hell. People are dying and going to hell. The people I skate with every Tuesday night are dying and going to hell. And apart from God's grace in their life, maybe through me as their messenger, they are going to die and go to hell. Your friends who do not know Christ are dying and going to hell. And eternity is on the line. And it may be that God has put you in that in that position to communicate the gospel. Be bold. Listen to what how Spurgeon puts it. <clears throat> if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And, and if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Brothers and sisters, be bold. Eternity hangs in the balance for the people that we are interacting with. Be bold. We have five minutes what I would like us to do is to do what Paul requests of the Ephesian church to do with him at the very end of that text that we read. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 6, Paul requests the Ephesian church, pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So what I'd like to do is you can break up with someone nearby and pray for that, for the other person. So you both need to pray, or three of you if you're together, pray together and pray for the other person by name that they would have boldness and fearlessness to share the the gospel. And then when we're done, I'll close and then we'll we'll do this. All right? Go for it.
opportunity to share the good news with those around us, whether it be at work or in our family, our neighbors, our friends, whoever it may be. Would you uh, open our eyes to see opportunity? Would you uh, give us the courage to step through those doors of opportunity when we hear of problems, when we hear of issues, when we hear of just good stuff happening? May we take those opportunities and boldly walk through them and share the good news because it is their only hope. People are dying and going to hell and it's only by your grace that we are not going to hell. And we certainly do not deserve to be going to heaven and having a forever relationship with you. But in your grace, you've chosen us to be your ambassadors. May we boldly do so. In your name I pray. Amen. If you have any desire for all the notes, um, 
I have a printed packet for Bruce because um, he had requested that. I have one more printed packet of almost all the notes, I should say, because Larry didn't give me his. Um, but I, I am going to accumulate. I have all of them except for his, but once I get his, I can make those available. I can send them to you in PDFs, and you can have all my notes. I mean, I don't want to oversell the benefit of those because they're my notes unique to me and the way I think and teach, and so they pro- might not be helpful to you. You might be shocked at all the things. really that, useful once you put mine in there. Yes, they <laughs> will. Yes. But value. it probably won't be useful when you look at my notes because they're very skeletal. No, no. I'm, what I meant was his will seem much more useful when you see mine. I just realized that was No, I... Pastor Pride, gotta love it. I think that's a disqualification. I think so. All right. Well, thank you for being here. All right. Thank you. It's nice to have people to talk. Don't do that.